0: should be on page 522 in your pew Bible. When you find that, I'm just going to stand on honor the reading of God's Word. I'll read the whole chapter. We're just going to look at a portion of this tonight. Then the Lord said to me, Take for yourself a large tablet and write on it in ordinary letters, Mehar Shalal Hashbazaz. And I will take to myself faithful witnesses for testimony. Uriah the priest, Zechariah the son of Jeroboam Chaya. I also approached the prophetess that she conceived, gave birth to a son. Then the Lord said to me, Name him Mehar Shalal Hashbazaz. For before the boy knows how to how to cry out, My father or my mother the wealth of Damascus and the spoils of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. Again, the Lord spoke to me further, saying, Inasmuch as these people have rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoice in Rezin, the son of Ramilio now therefore, behold, the Lord is about to bring on them the strong and abundant waters of the Euphrates rivers, that is the king of Assyria and all his glory. And it will rise over the channels and over all the banks. Then it will sweep On into Judah, it will overflow and pass through. It will reach as far as the neck and fill and the spread of its wings will fill the expanse of your land, Emmanuel. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. And listen, all remote places of the earth. Get ready, yet be shattered. Get ready, yet be shattered. Devise a plan, but it will fail. State a proposal, but it will not stand. For God is with us. For so the Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, you're not to say it is a conspiracy regarding everything this people calls a conspiracy. You're not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is the Lord of armies whom you are to regard as holy, and he shall be your fear and he shall be your dread and he will come then he will become a sanctuary to both the house of Israel, and he will be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble over them, they will fall and be broken, they will be snared and caught, bind the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and I I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will wait eagerly for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel." From the Lord of armies who dwells on Mount Zion, when they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should a people not consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living to the law and to the testimony? If they do not speak in accordance with this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land dejected and hungry, and it will turn out that when they are hungry, they will become enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth, and behold, distress and darkness and gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into the darkness. title of the message tonight is, The Lord Said. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you tonight. Praise you for your grace and goodness. Speak to us through your word. Draw us ever closer to you. Let what we do tonight refresh us and strengthen us. Uh, Prepare us to be better able to go out into a dark and a dying world. Be lights that shine brightly for Jesus. Fill me with your spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me to say what you once said tonight, nothing more, nothing less. I ask in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. As I was praying through the chapter, I was struck by the repetition of the phrase, the Lord said in verses 1 and 3 and 5, and then the Lord spoke in verse 11. The Lord said, the Lord spoke, then Isaiah wrote down what the Lord said and what the Lord had spoken. Now, the idea of God speaking to someone and them writing it down is not unique to Isaiah. The biblical writers say, thus saith the Lord, or thus says the Lord, around 420 times in the Old Testament. They use other phrases to show God as the source of their message. We also see the statement, the word of the Lord came to me about 58 times. And the phrase, the Lord spoke to Moses is used 66 times in the book of Leviticus alone. Now these phrases are used so often because God does not want us to have any doubts about the source of the message we have that we hold in our hands. We call this the Word of God and and that is exactly what it is. It is the Word of the living God. Now you find something interesting when you look at some of the passages in the Old Testament that start off with, The Lord said... And you find something interesting when you look at them in the New Testament. For example, in the book of Exodus, the Lord speaks to Moses. The Lord said, and he tells Moses to rise up early in the morning to go stand before Pharaoh. And here's what the Lord says to the, to the Pharaoh. Let my people go that they may serve me. But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain in order to show my power, in order to proclaim my name throughout the earth. But then in Romans chapter 9, when it when it quotes this, it says, for the Scripture... Says to Pharaoh. So the Old Testament tells us God said it, but the New Testament tells us that the Scripture says it. And there are many instances of this in the New Testament, where in the Old Testament it will say the Lord says or the God says, and in the New Testament it quotes it and says Scripture says. And what this teaches us is what Scripture says, God says. Now, that may seem basic, but it is a very important aspect to understanding what we're doing when we are reading this book and why we call it the Word of God. Any time we are reading Scripture, we are reading literally the very words of God Himself. Therefore, if Scripture says something is right or Scripture says something is wrong, then God Himself is saying that thing is right. Or that thing is wrong. Now often I've had people say, I would like to know what the Lord says about this issue. I know what the Bible says, but what does God say about it? Well, what the Bible says is what God says on any and every issue the Bible speaks about. Now, this is not only God and say a a nebulous sense of God, but it is also Jesus. Right now, this is important to understand that what the Bible says, Jesus says, because very often today we're told we should not speak as as disciples of Christ. There are certain issues we should not speak on and say they're wrong because Jesus himself never speaks explicitly about these issues. And yet the most basic confession about Jesus in the church of Jesus Christ is Jesus is God, therefore Anything scripture says or affirms about any issue is also what Jesus says or affirms about any issue. So if there is something the Bible in the Old Testament says is a sin, then in the New Testament, Jesus, even though he may not explicitly say that or use that, he is affirming it by his use of scripture and the fact he is God. If there's something in the New Testament, say, Paul wrote about and Paul called sin, then Jesus also would call it sin because Jesus is God and the Bible is the very Word of God. So we, again, people say, well, I know what Jesus says about a given issue. Well, look to the Bible. And whatever the Bible says about that issue is exactly what Jesus says about that issue. Now, one result of the Bible being the very Word of God is Scripture is always right in what it says. Scripture is always right in what it says because the accuracy of Scripture is built on the character and the nature of God. Now, there's a lot that goes into that, but there are two aspects of God's nature that specifically show us the Bible is always right. Right? So... In Isaiah, it says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is unsearchable. Psalm 147 and 5 says, great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. Part of the, the character and the nature of God is God is omniscient. God knows everything about everything right just as there is no end to God's power there is no end to God's knowledge God can speak authoritatively and accurately on any subject from history to science to theology and whatever he says is right because he knows everything about everything not only does God know everything is that a part of his character But we have hope in eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ago. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge have a strong encouragement to hold firmly to the hope set before us. Twice we're told God cannot lie. And we don't often think in terms of things God cannot do. But, but this is something God cannot do. God cannot lie. It is not in His character. It is not in His nature. It is not something that is possible for Him to do. And since God cannot lie, we can trust Him to always give us right information about anything and everything to which He speaks. So when we come to the Bible... We have the very words of God himself, the very words of the omniscient God who knows everything about everything and the very words of the unlying God who cannot tell a lie. So God's word is right on everything in which it speaks. And we can trust that God is right because God knows everything and always tells the truth. And part of what this means is any sort of an attack or a denial of the accuracy of God's word. Is an attack on the character and the nature of God himself. When we say God's word is wrong. We're saying God was wrong. If we say God's word is telling an inaccuracy. Is telling us a lie. We're saying God lied. So any sort of an attack on the accuracy of God's word. On anything in which it speaks. Is an attack on God. Now for the result. Uh, of scripture being the very words of God is scripture carries with it all the authority of God himself. And so what this means is to disbelieve or disobey the word of God is to disbelieve or disobey the person of God. Now, since this is God's word, it's not Isaiah did not write down his own opinions. Paul did not write down his own opinions. We we have the words of God written down for us through the humans of Isaiah and Paul and Peter, but they are God's word. So when we disbelieve or disobey the word of God, we are disbelieving or disobeying the person of God. Now, this is why Jesus rebukes the religious leaders in Matthew 15, one through nine for elevating human tradition over the word of God. And if you remember the story in Matthew 15, what had happened was the the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, had their own sorts of traditions. And they were, the traditions themselves were fine. But what they decided was anytime there was a conflict between their human traditions and between what God had said, they elevated their traditions over the word of God itself. And Jesus was not okay with this. Jesus rebuked them. And this, now what's really interesting is Jesus rebuked them for this even though they all agreed that was the way it was. Think about that, right? If it wasn't like it was one group, it wasn't like Red the Pharisee is the one who said, human, our traditions are more important than God's word. It wasn't. It was everybody. All of the religious leaders, all of the religious scholars, all of the people who devoted their life to God's word got together and they agreed. Where there's a conflict between our traditions and God's Word, what God has written in the law, our traditions are more important and we will follow those. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, comes along and He says, You're wrong. Not, not Red's wrong or, or Joe's wrong. You're all wrong for believing this. You're all wrong for elevating your human traditions over my Word. Jesus took it rather seriously. God's Word is... The standard for all things because it carries all the authority of God himself. Now, this isn't just my opinion. This is again, this is what Jesus said, but it is the way Paul wrote when he talked about God's word. He said, all scripture is inspired by God, beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good word. Now all scripture, all in the Greek means all. All scripture. So there's no this is, but that's not. All we have is scripture. All of it is what's referred to here. Inspired by God is what we were just talking about, that God spoke. That God said and his human servants wrote it down. And beneficial means God's word is the foundation for the areas spoken of in the rest of the passage. So I want to take a few minutes and and look at this. God's word is the authority in these areas. God's word is the authority for what we believe. He says teaching. God wants us to know who he is and what he's like. God wants us to understand why mankind, where mankind came from, to understand why mankind acts the way they are, why at times mankind acts so very evil and does such terrible things. God wants us to know where we came from. God wants us to know where we're going. God wants us to know the way of salvation comes through faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. God wants us to know how we're able to live in this life, what things we should do, what things we should avoid, what kind of relationships we should have, how we should talk, how we should think, how we should treat people, how we should respond to stressors, how we should act in our life. God wants us to know all of these things, and so all of these things have been revealed to us in His Word. He has told us in here all of these things. So from God's Word we learn to think rightly about God, about salvation, And about life in general. This is incredibly important. Because culture. Always. Contradicts. What God has revealed. In his word. The the world. The culture will tell us. We really can't know God. Or we really can't know what God is like. The world will tell us we began as. Primordial sludge and evolved into humans through random chance and circumstance. The world will tell us people are basically good. And their main problem is a lack of resources or a lack of education. The world will tell us all religions are essentially equal. They're either all equally right or they're all equally wrong. But no one religion is the way. The world will tell us. So long as we aren't hurting anyone, then there is no real standard that can be a right or a wrong to restrain or guide our lifestyles. All of those ideas are contrary to what God has said in his word. And knowing this, the question we all have to answer is, what will be the authority for what we believe. Will we believe what the world says about God or will we believe what God has said about God in His Word? Will we believe what the world says about humanity or will we believe what God has said about humanity in His Word? Will we believe what the world says about salvation? Or will we believe what God has said about salvation in his word? Will we believe what the world says about morality and right and wrong and how to live? Or will we believe what God has said about morality and right and wrong and how we're to live? Will the world be the authority for what we believe and so lead us to conform to the world? Or Will the word of God be the authority in what we believe and so lead us to conform to God's will and to the person and the work of Jesus? God's word is the authority. on what we believe the omniscient, unlying God has revealed to us what's right, what's wrong, what to believe. That's the story. That's the authority. God's word is the authority for the rebukes we receive, right? It says rebuke. Now, rebuke is is essentially to show us what's wrong. Lots of people will tell us what's wrong with our lives. The world will tell us what's wrong with what we believe and how we live and what we do. But God's word is the authority for the rebukes. We receive not what the world says, not what our friends say, not what anything but God's word. Now, the, the reality is God's word will rebuke us at times. It will confront us and convict us about the way we think about God or salvation or life in general. Right? And and let me say it will, not it could or it might. It will. Here's the reason. None of us are perfect. None of us at this point Have everything done exactly right. We don't have all the right beliefs about everything there is to believe. We don't live in all the right ways there are to live. We don't react in all the right ways we're supposed to react. We don't do all the right things we're supposed to do. So there are going to be times where we're in God's word and it is going to correct us. It is going to rebuke us. It's going to confront us. It's going to convict us. It's going to make it clear to us. We have wrong thoughts, we have wrong actions, we have wrong beliefs. Now, at times this rebuke will be a gentle nudge. We we read it and we immediately see, that's not what I believe, that's not what I do, that's not how I talk, that's not the way I'm acting in this particular situation. That's just a a gentle nudge. And at times it will be a strong conviction our hearts will be pricked we will feel the weight of our sin and the weight of our error pushing down upon us the question what are we going to do when god's work god's word rebukes us will we ignore it and go on the way we're living or will we turn to jesus with confession and repentance seeking to get back on the right track now It's easy to say, I'll respond with repentance and confession until we're rebuked about something we really want to do. At this point, we either demonstrate our want as the authority in our lives or we demonstrate God's word as the authority in our lives. It's easy to say, I'll accept the rebuke and respond with repentance and confession until what I'm rebuked about is something All my friends are doing. Something that changing this is going to make me different than the world around me. That's going to make my beliefs different than the culture at large. Make my actions different than the culture at large. And if we reject this rebuke. Then what we're saying is ultimately we're saying. Culture. Is the authority. Not God's word. So when. When the correction hits, when God's word begins to show us something is wrong, we have a choice. And we're going to demonstrate in this choice what is the authority in our lives. We we demonstrate our want as the authority in our lives. We demonstrate culture as the authority in our lives. We demonstrate something else as the culture as the authority in our lives. If we reject the rebuke and say, no, I'm not going to do that. We demonstrate God's Word as the authority in our lives when we repent and when we confess it over our lives. We demonstrate God's Word as the authority in our lives as we submit to God in anything He shows us from His Word. Right, God's Word, because the omniscient, unlying God has given His Word, it has the authority to rebuke us over anything and everything in our lives. Any thought, any attitude, any value, any priority, any action, any reaction, any, any, anything. And because it is the Word of God, there is an expectation from God that we will submit to that rebuke. We will repent of what we're rebuked about and we will confess it as sin to Jesus and we will then strive to live for Jesus and bring our lives and believe what we're supposed to believe, do what we're supposed to be doing. Any response other than receiving the rebuke through repentance and confession shows something other than God's word is the authority in our lives. God's word is also the authority for changes we make. right? So for teaching, for rebuke, for correction. God's word not only points out when we're wrong. God's word shows us what is right. It shows us how to fix what's wrong. This is a a good thing. God's word doesn't just say that belief is wrong. God's word says that belief is wrong. This belief is right. Here's what you should believe. This action is wrong. Here's what you should be doing instead. This value is wrong. Here's what you should value instead. This priority is wrong. Here's what you should prioritize instead. This, this way of speaking is wrong. Here's how you should be speaking instead. That, to me, that is a, a wonderful aspect of God's Word. Many people want to tell us what's wrong with us. But only God's Word will show us how to fix what's wrong. How to change the wrong beliefs and whether to replace them with the right beliefs. Now, correction does imply change. Changing our wrong thinking. Changing our wrong actions. Changing our wrong values. Changing our wrong priorities. Changing our wrong speech. Changing our wrong whatever. Now, this can be tough. Because God's Word will, all, God will often use His Word to change areas of our lives we don't really want to change. Change is not easy for many people. We get set in our ways and we like what we do. We're comfortable there. And then God's Word begins to mess with us in these areas and tell us this is wrong. This is right. Do what's right. God, since God's Word speaks to every area of life, I mean, We don't have time to get into it, but there is no area of our life God's word does not speak to. So therefore, God can use his word to tell us we need to change relationships we're in. God can use his word to tell us to, to stop this relationship or start this relationship or cultivate this relationship or let that one kind of slide a little bit. God will use his word to tell us to change in our relationships. God can use his word to tell us to change how we spend our time, how we spend our money. God's word speaks to redeeming the time, being generous with our finances. It can tell us to give here, to stop this, to be there, to to do this. God's word speaks to how we raise our children. God's word could tell us how to change certain things about what we're doing in our child rearing. God's word tells us on, on what we're to think on. Right. So it can change us on what we watch on TV or how much TV we watch. God can use his word to to change the way we talk. Certain kinds of speech, the Bible says, should never come from the mouth of a disciple of Jesus. Other kind should come out of our mouth. We're to speak this way, but but not that way. God can use his word to change what we're going to do with our lives. I mean, there is. No area of our life where God cannot use his word to correct us, to change us. So what will we do when God uses his word to change how we think or what we believe or the way we live or what we have planned with our future? Will we keep going the way we are or will we make the changes God reveals to us from His Word. We demonstrate God's, the, the authority of God's Word when we are willing to change anything in our lives so that we'll be in line with what God has said in His Word. God's Word is also the authority for how we live. right? For training in righteousness. Through God's Word... We are trained to become righteous, to live righteous, to have righteous relationships, to react to stressors in righteous way and just generally to live in the world in a way that demonstrates the the work and the word of God. Now, the world's idea of righteousness and the idea of righteousness presented in God's word are vastly different. The world will largely say we're righteous by nature. But God's word says we are unrighteous by nature. The world teaches us we can live righteously just by being a a good person. However you want to define that. But God's word teaches us we can only live righteous after Jesus has made us righteous. The world teaches us to live however we want to live. And that's a righteous thing so long as we don't hurt others. But God's Word teaches us that we're to strive for holiness, righteousness in our actions. The world tells us righteous relationships are any mutually pleasing relationships between two consensual adults. But God's Word teaches us there are some people we should not be in a relationship with. And there are some things we cannot do in any relationship outside the bonds of marriage. The world teaches we are to blast anyone who disagrees with us. God's word teaches we are to be peacemakers. So what do we do? When the world's idea of righteousness clashes with the idea of righteousness presented in God's word. Will we follow the mindset of the world and live with the world's righteousness? Or will we make the necessary changes to live in the righteousness God's word describes? We demonstrate the authority of God's word when we let God's word determine what is and what is not righteous. And we strive to live in those ways. We see in the last in verse 17, God's word is these things for us. So we may be fully capable equipped for every good work, for everything God wants us to do. One of the most important questions we will ever answer is what will be the authority in our lives? Now, if we are disciples of Jesus, Jesus has answered this question for us. Jesus told us we are to build our lives On his word. That's the answer Jesus gives to what is the foundation of our lives. What is the authority of our lives? Jesus modeled this when he resisted Satan's temptations and deceptions by quoting God's word. He always came back to it is written. But the only way God's Word can be the foundation of our lives is if we are students of the Word. See, the foundation, we have to know what it says before it can be the foundation of our lives. If you think about it, though, that should be a natural response to this being the very words of God revealing to us. The will and the want and the ways of God. God's Word can't instruct me on what to believe if I don't know what it says. God's Word can't show me where I'm wrong if I don't know what it says. God's Word can't correct me when I'm wrong if I don't know what it says. God's Word can't train me how to live righteously. If I don't know what it says. Therefore what we have to do. Is be diligent. To present ourselves approved to God as workers. Do not need to be ashamed. Accurately handling the word. Of truth. Notice we are told to be diligent. It's a strong word. One of my commentaries explained the word diligent means to. To make every effort. To labor. To do one's best to work hard, to endeavor, to give all diligence, to be zealous, to eagerly strive, to exert oneself, and to make haste. So we're to be diligent. We're to be all of those things. And we're to do it as, as workers. And we're to be diligent workers regarding God's Word. Now that's a challenge. I mean, if we were to be honest tonight, about being a diligent worker regarding God's word. Could we say? Our effort in God's word is we make every effort. To study it, we, we labor in studying it, we're diligent to study it, we we do our best to study it, we work hard to study it, we endeavor to study it, we give All diligence to study it. We're zealous to study it. We eagerly strive to study it. We exert ourselves to study it. We make haste to study it. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what it says. And why are we to do this? So that we can accurately handle God's Word. We all have heard the statement. You can make God's Word say anything Or you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. We've all heard people make that statement. And there's some truth to it. If you're willing, if you're lazy, and if you're willing to twist it, you can absolutely make God's word say whatever you want to say. But that's not what we're out to do. As disciples of Jesus, we're not trying to be lazy and to twist God's word and to lack integrity regarding it and to use it as a hammer to smash people to prove our points. That's not what we're doing. We're trying to be diligent so that we can accurately handle it. That, that accurately handling it means we not only can say these are the words it says, but this is what it means. This requires diligence On our part, we don't want to impose our will on God's word. We want to draw out what God's word actually says about these issues. We aren't going to God's word to say, I believe this. Show me I'm right. We're going to God's word saying, show me what I'm supposed to believe. We don't go to God's word saying, I'm going to do this action. Show me I'm right. We go to God's word and say, I want my actions to be right. This is accurately handling the word of God. We're to be able to handle it for ourselves. And we're to be able to explain it to others. As disciples of Jesus, we're not only in this for our own ability to understand. We're to be able to help other people understand as well. This requires Effort. It takes diligent work to be able to know God's Word well enough. It can be a legitimate foundation to our lives. I think at times people have the idea that there is something almost just magical about the book itself. I have a Bible. And and I keep it in my house in a place of honor. Look at that. It's right there. I see it every day. And everybody who walks in, they see I've got that Bible right there. Well, do you study it? Well, no, but look at where it's at. It's in this place of honor in my house. And everyone can see it. Listen, the Bible's not a good luck charm. There's no special protection offered by owning a Bible. It's not the foundation of our lives because we keep it in a place of prominence in our house. It's the foundation of our lives as we know what it says and we submit to its authority and what we believe, the rebukes we receive, the changes we make and the instruction in righteousness on how to live. We have to be students of the word. We we are commanded to be students of the word. And this is for all of us. As Americans, we are exceedingly blessed when it comes to God's word. All it takes for us to study God's word is to grab our own personal copy and our preferred translation. I mean, we don't just have a personal copy. We have multiple copies Probably in multiple translations. If we have smartphones, we have access to multiple electronic Bibles in virtually every translation known to mankind. We have access to the Internet. We can go to websites like blueletterbible.com and there is every English translation, several foreign language translations, commentaries and devotions and all of the study stuff we might ever want And if we want our own personal copy of the Bible, we can Google free Bibles. And I promise you, there is some organization, some church somewhere giving out free Bibles, probably in whatever translation you prefer, and you fill out the information, give them your email address, they will mail you a free copy of the Bible. But do we take advantage of what we have? the riches we have in God's Word. We must, if we're to be diligent workers who study God's Word, to know God's Word so we can make it the foundation of our lives. Now, there are many ways we can study God's Word to be diligent. One is just a general study of of God's Word. I, I cannot overstate the importance of regular disciplined, systematic study of God's Word. I mean, there are plenty of plans to help you read through God's Word in one year or two year, or three years or five years, however you want to do it. We have out there the machine Bible reading plan I put out in January. I put it out every January. It's the one I, I read. You can Google it. You can Look at you version and find Bible reading plans, just however, just a year with Jesus. You can, I mean, there is numerous ways to regularly study the Bible. You can just pick it up and start in Genesis and work your way through. I mean, there's no end to the ways to have a, we can do this. The key is not the Bible study plan we have or how many chapters a day we read. It is the, the disciplined, consistent, systematic study. It is doing more than picking it up, opening it up, read a chapter, closing it. The next day, picking up, read a chapter somewhere else and closing it. That's not going to make it the foundation of our lives. There has to be a a systematic way we study it to understand the thoughts and the intents of God's Word and what He intended for us to get from it. Or we could do a topical study. You want to know what the Bible says about baptism? What does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? What does the Bible say about itself? What is it? What's what are hot button issues and are they? What's the Bible say about homosexuality, abortion, transgender type issues? What's the Bible say about tragedies and culture? What does the Bible say about sex abuse and things that go on like that in churches? What's the Bible say about that? I bet it speaks about it. So we could find those issues and then begin to, to study what does the Bible say about all of these things? The answers are, are there. The way to study it is not nearly as important it's just that we're doing it. Our need to dig into God's word and see what it says is great. And we need to study and be diligent. And all of this takes considerable time on our part. Listen, I, I I don't have a problem with devotions. I like devotions. I read devotions. For a while I wrote devotions for Randall House. But here's the reality. One hour daily bread a day is not going to equip you for the Bible to be the foundation of your life. And, and our daily bread is a good devotion. One depth a day is not going to equip you for the Bible to be the foundation of your life. It takes time. You know, God's Word is its called a weapon. The sword of the Spirit. Now, I don't know how long Roman soldiers, how much time they put into learning how to use a sword well. But I know how much time American infantry soldiers put in to learn how to use a rifle well. Learning to shoot a rifle is one of the first tasks you learn in basic training. Then when you go to advanced infantry training, you learn how to shoot a rifle again. And then when you arrive at your unit after you've graduated and you're a soldier, you learn how to shoot your rifle again. And then you shoot it again and again and again and again. Until you, you, you practice with it, you mess with it, you can take it apart and put it back together in the dark, blindfolded, with people yelling at you. You, you know how to, how it works. You know when things are not right and when it's about to jam up. You know by the sounds things aren't like they should. There's dirt in the chamber. You can tell these things. Not because you've been taught, but you've used it so much. You've, you're diligent. You know it. That's how we're to approach God's word. Mastery of a weapon takes time. Mastery of God's word takes time. And really, in in many ways, our willingness to put forth the effort and take the time, it demonstrates our view of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. We exalt you today. Father, elevate our view of your word to the way it ought to be. Guide us to see it as truly your word. Give us a love for your word that we would say, as the, the psalmist would say, that your word is sweeter than honey, it's a treasure. Let us give it the place in our lives Jesus said we ought to give it. Make it the foundation of what we believe, of the rebukes we receive, the changes we make, the way that we live our lives. Let your Spirit speak to us from the Word, illuminate it. Let it always be living and active in our personal time make us a people of the book who know the word and know it well and thus we know our God and we know His Son, Jesus Christ. We ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.